From the archives of the East Oregonian, we bring you the murder of Sheriff Till Taylor. A hundred years later to the day, we'll take you through the sheriff's story, the events leading up to his murder, and the manhunt that ensued for the men responsible. I'm your host, Alex Castle, and I'm joined by our producer, Ben Lonergan. Sheriff Till Taylor slain, five prisoners still at large, Lindgren is taken. The headline of the East Oregonian's front page read on July 26, 1920. We left off our last episode with the death of Sheriff Till Taylor, dead at 54 years old from a gunshot wound right above his heart, fired by an escaping prisoner during a jailbreak in the Umatilla County Jail in Pendleton. Grief and anger began to stir the community to action, but in the immediate shock of the events, the fugitives had about a one to two hour start on the mobs that began to form, arming themselves with whatever they could grab in the community. Before we take you through the events of July 26, 1920, let's first take a longer look at who these escaped fugitives were and what they had done to land themselves in the Umatilla County Jail that day. We discussed Jim Owens and Neil Hart a little bit in episode one. The two had been brought in two weeks prior to Till Taylor's murder on armed robbery charges for an incident out on the Umatilla Indian Reservation. They were alleged to have broken into a house stealing $8,000 in gold coins, robbing teepees of elk tooth vests, buckskin garments, and other valuable items. They also carjacked a man out on the road to Pendleton, tied him up in a barn, loaded up their loot, and took his car. The man later escaped and was the one who alerted Sheriff Taylor to the incident. The next day, Taylor was able to find the man's abandoned car near Wreath, and not long after, he and his deputies found the thieves at a freight yard line where a chase and gunfight ensued. Eventually ended in the capture of the two men as they were lodged into the Umatilla County Jail in Pendleton. Along with Owens and Hart, Jack Rathy was also in prison. 22-year-old was wanted for store robbery, while Richard Patterson and his partner Lewis Anderson, both 22 and 23 years old, were wanted for the passing of a worthless check. Albert Lindgren, the oldest of the group, was 40 years old, was wanted for check raising. During the jailbreak, Patterson was the first to escape the building, running out of the south entrance, and he headed for the train tracks, where he was able to grab hold and pull himself onto a freight train headed east. But as he turned around, he was surprised to see there was four men chasing behind him, his partner Anderson, along with the three men Owens, Hart, and Rathy, all armed to the teeth with weapons and ammo. The men sat on the eastbound train for about six miles when a tip was relayed to the train conductor to stop. Recognizing that this stop was unscheduled, the men leapt from the train car and hid themselves in a patch of brush as they saw a group of cars pull toward them and posses of armed and angry men beginning to search the nearby fields. Patterson and Anderson were surprised at just how angry these men seemed. While maybe the others didn't know that Hart's second shot had really killed Sheriff Taylor, Anderson and Patterson were under the impression that he had merely been winged. Patterson and Anderson, concerned about the angry mob, considered giving themselves up, but Owens, already asserting himself as the leader of the group, insisted that they stick together. Missing from the group was Albert Lindgren, who, for whatever reason, was off on his own, heading up the Umatilla River to Cayuse. Within hours of the jailbreak, he had been brought into custody and quickly told authorities he had no idea where the others were and luckily for him, the authorities believed him. The posse returned to Pendleton with Lindgren in hand, and that's when they found out that Sheriff Taylor had died 
earlier that night at 6 p.m. While the five fugitives made their way up the old Oregon Trail, over the Blue Mountains, and towards the Grand Ronde Valley. The five fugitives managed to travel about 10 miles to an unoccupied road camp while rumors poured in from around the region about where these men were headed. Early the morning of Monday, July 26, 1920, construction workers who were building a new highway over the Blue Mountains at the time arrived at their camp and found evidence that had been broken into and reported it to officers. When officers arrived at the scene, they were able to find a shoe print and identified it as belonging to Owens. Before long, a hundred men were around the rocky hillside below the new highway, searching the area for any evidence of the men. But just 500 yards away, across the ravine, the five fugitives were hidden in the brush. As calls around the region for assistance in the manhunt poured in, up in Walla Walla, Deputy Warden Earl McEnroe of the Washington State Penitentiary donated some bloodhounds to the search, and they were out in the area using scents they had picked up from the prisoners' belongings left in jail, trying to pick up the scent of the fugitives laying just hundreds of yards away. Before long, they picked up a scent, and they began barking loudly and pulling the officers down the hill towards where the men were hiding, when just in a stroke of luck, a car came racing up the road from Pendleton, shouting that they had found the men and they had surrounded them at wreath, and everybody was needed at once. Everybody jumped in their cars, headed towards wreath, 30 miles to the west, and leaving the men, who could hardly believe their luck, hidden until nightfall. As nightfall descended on the men on July 26, Owens and Hart announced to the group that they were splitting up. The other three had no problem with that, who had honestly already grown afraid of the two tougher criminals. Owens and Hart backtracked, heading towards Cayuse, breaking into unoccupied cabins and stealing food along the way. In the meantime, Rathy, Patterson, and Anderson climbed up to Timberline and found the Oregon Trail. They kept to the edge of the road during the night, ducking into the roadside brush whenever cars passed by. But Rathy, growing consumed with thirst, left the other two and headed north over rough country to the Umatilla River. He was able to find some water there, broke into a cabin, and had his first food in two days. It's at this point where we really start to see the divides among these fugitives growing. Owens and Hart, both in for violent crimes of robbing and stealing out on the Umatilla Indian Reservation, are much different than the men who've been brought in for merely passing worthless checks. Owens and Hart had staged breakout attempts twice in the mere two weeks they were imprisoned at the Umatilla County Jail. Days after their arrest, a friend of Owens by the name of Frank Butler smuggled in a hacksaw to the two, which they used to saw the jail bars and windows. To drown out the sound of the sawing at night, the other prisoners aided in the attempt by singing barbershop hymns together. plan nearly worked, but was finally discovered and stopped right as the two sawed through the windows. A few days after their initial plan had been thwarted, Hart and Owens then got their hands on a chisel, and began tunneling their way through the jail wall, till once again, their plan was discovered, and they were locked back away. Owens was the primary initiator of each of the jailbreak attempts, including the final one that ended in the murder of Sheriff Taylor. According to Ernest L. Crockett's book, The Murder of Till Taylor, Owens is described strong as a bull and tough as the dominant character who towered over the other fugitives. His partner, Neil Hart, 
described as following him like a dog. Hart, though he was cunning, shifty, and extremely agile, Crockett says that he deferred in everything to Owens. As we mentioned before, Anderson and Patterson had no idea at the time the extent of Sheriff Till Taylor's injuries. With Owens, the mind behind the jailbreak plot, and Hart, the man who fired the weapon and took the life of Sheriff Till Taylor, and two would later hang for their crimes, as Rathy, Patterson, and Anderson continued their escape together, trying to stay away from the mobs and posses that had formed around the area. In need of a new leader back in Pendleton to head up the search for the killers of their beloved sheriff, it was the murdered sheriff's own younger brother, Jinx Taylor, who had been his undersheriff at the time, was appointed to secede his older brother and bring his killers to justice. On our next episode, we dive into the events of July 27, 1920, the funeral of the murdered sheriff as the community mourned and contemplated what justice will and should look like as they continued their search for the men responsible. <laughs>